back to 90.3 WNC Upper Montclair with Fandom Fair, a deep dive media pod, not a podcast show, with, with your hosts. No, no, it's just Midge this week. <laughs> Sam's on here. Uh, she wasn't feeling too well, so I decided to take the um, take the initiative and talk about something by myself for once. So this week, I so. This week, uh, it came to me as Sam texted me about how she wouldn't be able to do the show this week. That uh, sometimes anime is weird, <laughs> especially as adaptations of its source material. So, if you were like me, you were mo- you might have been watching The Promised Neverland season two this past winter, and you might have stuck along for the ride. You might not have, but if you did. You got to that ending, and that ending was so weird. So, if you don't know what The Promised Neverland is, just gonna say it just right now, I am spoiling things. So, if you've not watched it, I will be spoiling The Promised Neverland season 2. And I may be casually spoiling Soul Leader, um, Orin High School Host Club, My Hero Academia, and, uh, and, uh, Something else. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. So, if you don't know what The Promised Neverland is, it is a story of a group of children who are being bred, literally bred, to be food for demons. Uh, and then there are these three kids. So, Emma, right, and Norman. And they all just, and the family decide that they are going to get out of here. They don't want to be part of this. They want to live lives and escape to the human world. Because the whole thing with The Promised Neverland is that they're in this demon world in this, um, essentially this house where they're being raised by a mother, quotation marks around mother. It is only actually one of the characters' mothers. Um, and they're trapped here. And so the main point of season one is to escape Gracefield, which is where they're, which is where they're from. The first season is amazing. One of the best anime of 2019, though I had actually watched it last year over winter break. Um, and I had fallen in love with it. The first season is suspense horror done perfectly. It is amazing. It is... I'm not a big fan of horror. Um, so, The Promised Neverland is perfect for me because it didn't really jump scare you. It just gave you that feeling of terror and foreboding. So, I had told myself that after watching Promised Neverland season one, I I would, uh, after season two aired, I would read the manga. I assumed that the uh, season two would just go over the next few arcs as the manga had set it out. But as soon as season three hit, the anime started to not follow the manga perfectly. So again, spoiler warning ahead for The Promised Neverland season two and the manga, technically. Though I have never actually read the manga, I will be doing so soon. So, episode three deletes the existence of a very important character, Hugo, uh, thus shifting the... Tr- the trajectory of the plot entirely by getting rid of Hugo, sometimes known as Mister. They delete one of the reportedly best arcs in the series, the Goldie Pond arc. Again, I'm not a manga reader. I'm currently on the anime only, but from what I've heard, this arc is huge for Emma's development as a character. Without this development, the rest of the story starts to feel flat and sort of not the greatest in the world. Since this, since Hugo's been thrown out. The kids are left, left mainly to their own devices, 
until Norman pops back up in season, in uh, episode 5. Now, as I was watching it, I had actually spoiled myself uh, mid-watch by using Hulu's ability to look ahead to my advantage. You know when you take your mouse and you, like, scan it over the progress bar and you can see future scenes? I did that, and I saw Norman, and I went, Norman? In my episode 5? So soon, so soon. I was so completely confused why Norman was, I am, appearing so soon. And eventually we do find out it's because Norman had escaped Lambda, which was this um, research facility where they were um, trying to figure out, I assume, I'm trying to remember, because it's been a few weeks since I watched the anime, that um, to create the best humans for the demons to feed on whatever. So, I had already had the theory back in season one after it ended that Norman wasn't dead since we clearly saw Connie died very quickly as she was brought to the gate and Norman was brought back to in- into a side room, which, yeah, we get to see that eventually what happened in that side room as the anime progresses. But this had all felt too soon, cementing my fears of the anime's plot being completely different from the manga, as we had literally seen... Norman go out, leave, just a few episodes before the season finished, season one finished, so I was like, why is Norman back so quickly? It, it was almost, um, halfway through the, um, halfway through the season, but still, it felt too soon to me, as a lot of what we had just been going through was very, felt very filterish to me, as we had just, um, met Mujika and Sonju, who I will get back to Mujika soon. Um, I might actually touch on Sonju for a moment, because some, something's a bit off about Sonju to me. And, um, and those two are apparently very important characters. And, 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 you know, you go, and then the Goldie Pond arc being deleted, and then the kid, and then there's a time skip of six months, six months, six months, six months. And I was just incredibly... (laughs) confused at that point what was going to happen so a big problem of season two is how quickly things are resolved such as um this is yeah again spoiler territory norman's opinion on killing demons is just just completely switched um as soon as he hears how here's a little girl's a uh, little demon girl's name her name happens to be emma so yes the promise Neverland season two pulls the batman versus superman <laughs> Oh my god, that had always been one of my least favorite plot points in Batman vs. Superman, which is just in general, not a good movie. Zack Snyder, I could go on about that movie, but this isn't what we're here about. You can make the case that Norman suddenly sees the humanity in demons as this little girl clings to her grandfather as she dies, but I would probably make that case if her name wasn't Emma, the name of Norman's sister. Yeah, I don't ship any of the kids because they grew up as siblings. Literally, siblings, they call each other siblings multiple times. It's just, I don't get why people ship them. I could go on an entire rant about why would people ship siblings who explicitly call each other siblings and feel sibling relationships with each other. It just doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, so, and then, then there's Emma, who doesn't want to kill demons so suddenly. It felt very unrealistic to me at the time, as she just left somewhere, Gracefield, where she was being offered up as prime food to demons due to the intelligence that they um, helped her develop, uh, that Isabella helped her develop. Suddenly she's all like, but I don't want to kill demons. Now, I don't remember her reason why. (laughs) 
I don't know if she had a reason why. Because if she... I feel like that would have been something that I remembered very clearly. Because I had watched this season for 12 weeks, near consistently, every Wednesday. I don't remember her reason why she didn't want to kill demons. And that's, that's a problem. That's a problem. And then there's something like Mujika's evil blood. It felt like a cop-out to the nth degree in the anime. To my under- So, pretty much what Mujika's blood does is that if a demon ingests it, they, will, they don't have to eat, eat humans anymore. And they won't degenerate if they don't eat humans. And it felt like a big... It's not exactly a Chekhov, Chekhov's gun, because it wasn't just revealed... Essentially, Mujika herself is a Chekhov's gun. Because you don't know anything about Mujika when you meet her. You just know that she doesn't eat... She and Sonju don't eat humans. And speaking of Sonju, just a quick bit on Sonju. It was probably episode 2, or episode 3. When they're watching the kids go off to the bunker. And Sonju's like, I can't wait in the future to eat demons again. To eat humans again. And I was just like... Wait, sir, what? I'm pretty sure that's exactly what he said. He said something along the lines of, I can't, but like humans are delicious or something along those lines. And I was like, and that literally put me on for the rest of the season being like, when are these two betraying the kids? When are they betraying the kids? I was on that for the rest of the season and they never betrayed the kids. They actually helped the kids later on in the season. And I was just like, wait, no betrayal? Then what was that line about? It, it put me on the edge for the rest of the season whenever Sonju or Mujika popped up. Whenever I saw, whenever I watched the OP and I saw Mujika, I was just like, uh-uh. No, no, no. I don't trust you. Trust her through the entire time. It didn't make sense to me in the context. And even when I look at the wiki, it turns out that they're, they have a religion, which I don't remember if it was mentioned in the anime or not, and they're heathens, in which they do not. That is what it's called. I swear to God. They don't eat humans because of their religion. And I don't remember if that's mentioned in the anime or not, but pretty much what I remember Sonji saying, I mean, like, I can't wait to eat humans again in a few thousand years, and, like, wait. It just didn't make sense to me. And so so pretty much at towards the, the latter half of the anime, there is the period where um, Norman's dudes, they're coming in, they're... The gas, he had demon-killing gas that, I guess, rapidly degenerated them. I don't know how he did that. Norman is a smart little man. Um, and so, <laughs> Mujika comes in, she's just like, here, drink my blood, you're fine. And I'm just like, it feels like a giant cop-out, because there was no build-up to this. And even then, this is apparently a very <laughs> anime-only plot. And I'm just like, hmm. It felt off. Very off. So, presumably in the manga, there's a lot of back and forth about using the evil blood, or at least there's some build-up to the usage of it, not just very quickly. So, pretty much there's another point that when they leave Muchika and Sonju, uh, Muchika gives Emma an amulet, which has no effect on the plot, besides something that Emma looks at, sadly, when remembering Muchika, or when they go to find Muchika and Sonju. But apparently in the manga, this opens up the way to go meet God, which is something else I'm going to talk about in a moment, because I'll off at the top of my head, because I didn't write this bit down. So, so pretty much, we stopped killing the demons, right? Demons done. We're not killing them anymore. And so, all the kids, and so it turns out that, um, 
Oh yeah, by the way, Isabella's back very quickly. Apparently in the manga, she doesn't show up so quickly. She's back. They just wanted to continue using her as a continual villain, which makes sense. She was, I thought of her as a very good villain in season one, but that isn't manga compliant. Whatever. Isabella's back. She's all like, hmm, evil with Peter Atari, who is the, um, guard of the door to the human world. Apparently his family has all been, like, protecting it for centuries. His family betrayed the other humans to the demons. His brother's Minerva, <laughs> the original Minerva, because apparently Norman was pretending to be Minerva, as in he took Minerva's place as, like, you know, the human hero or whatever. It's like, you're new Minerva? Okay, Norman, go off! So, pretty much, um, what happens with Isabella is that she's back. She's like, yeah, I'll help you get my kids back. I'll help, I want my kids back. Even though at the very end of last season, it felt like, you know, she was going to be, like, kind of more rebellious than this. Because she, like, sort of, she had this realization that, hey, she and the kids aren't so different. She tried to escape at one point. You know, that was a whole bit, and we never get back to Isabella's backstory, really. So that's, that sucks. That sucks. Um, or really her relationship with Ray, like, it's not covered at all in the, in the, um, in the, in the second season. And it's like, hmm, you know, maybe Ray would have some, like, thing about maybe, like, you know, leaving his own mother behind, you know. So pretty much, um, they have this plan to be like, hey, we're shipping off the kids, the, the other kids in the farms to, um, to go get eaten, which doesn't make sense really because like you know when you think about it, it doesn't make sense because um the kids are the food that the nobles are gonna eat and thus why would you get rid of them all also um by the way this sort of all this plan besides being inspired by um just my general confusion over the second season was inspired by mother's basements epi- um um video on uh, The Promised Neverland Season 2, which I do recommend. You could go watch it. That would be cool. I really enjoyed watching it myself. It was a lot, So a lot of these ideas are coming from Mother's, Base, Mother's Basement. Um, so pretty much what happens is that it smells like, they're like, yeah, they hear it over the radio. Yeah, we're going to ship out all these kids, which includes Phil, who we know is um, pretty much Emma's guy on the inside. Kinda. He's holding everyone together and he knows, he knows, he has this pressure on him, and, you know, so the kids are like, okay, we gotta, we gotta go back and save our siblings, and <laughs> turns out there's a lot more kids than I remember there being, <laughs> I was just like, where'd all these kids come from, because, to my understanding, or that they had known all of, because, to my, or that they had, like, known all of these kids prior, because, for some reason, when they go back, so the plan is, so, oh, Actually, I should mention this. So there's a member of Norman's group. His name is Vincent. So at the end of one of the episodes, there's this cliffhanger like, Hey, Ratchery, I got information for you about the plan. I'm going to tell it to you. Turns out, next episode, immediately, he's not actually betraying the kids. He's setting up a trap for Ratchery to fall for so that the kids can get in and save their siblings. So anyway, this all happens. They are using hot air balloons, which they got from somewhere, to enter into Gracefield, which is, and then they're going to, um, so they go down through this well that we had no idea existed. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. 
I should have quickly mentioned. So there's this character named Velik, who is the grandfather demon I mentioned prior, whose granddaughter's name is Emma. And so apparently he also has the evil blood. Muchka saved a bunch of uh, demons prior. We've never seen these demons before. Whatever. So we only know Velik. He's an anime-only character. So there's the demon Emma. (laughs) Assumably. Because Velik doesn't exist in the manga. So Velik... um, So we came across this dude, like... 15 years ago, and this dude had the pe- a pen similar to the one that Emma has from Minerva, and so, um, so what happened is this dude's dying, and Velik's like, at this point, he had the blood in him, and so he's like, he puts this dude out of his mer- misery, and the dude's like, T- take this to the children, and I'm like, wait, so out of nowhere, Velik finds, it's very convenient to the plot, and so, th- so pretty much, he doesn't take the entire pen. He has, like, this little uh, chip that you put in the pen, and it can project, first off, a cure for the um, illness that um, Norman and the other Lambda guys have been going through. They've been going... I did, forgot to mention this. So, Norman and the other Lambda guys are going through this illness that makes them spit up blood from the experiments. Okay? And so, suddenly, they know how to cure it. This mysterious illness that they have been covering, or at least effects from the exper- uh, um, experiments that has only been known to us for a few episodes now, we know how to get rid of it. it. It's just so sudden. The pacing for this entire series is completely off because they're deciding to wrap up everything very quickly in the step that spoils it. So. <laughs> so, what happens from there? So, they're just like, okay, so we got the cure for the brain stuff with Lambda. We got the blueprints in Grace, into Gracefield's main building, which includes guard positions, camera positions, presumably, I don't remember, and, like, just the entire blueprints. And and this is from 15 years ago, and apparently they haven't changed the guard patrols in 15 years. Okay! Okay! And also a way in without going to the gates, which is the wells I mentioned. We have never... I, I don't remember if this well shows up in season one or not. But, yeah, also, yeah, so they go to their their house, Gracefield House, and they don't take any time to just sort of stand there and think about how they burnt their house down. Okay, you know what? Now I'm realizing why I feel like there's more kids than usual, because all the kids from Gracefield went to different houses, because their house burnt down. (laughs) And that's why all the kids from Gracefield are split up, because Phil's somewhere, another kid's somewhere, another kid's somewhere, another kid's somewhere, another kid's somewhere. And so... Here's what happens, they go in, and then a bunch of these, and the, um, some of the younger kids go and they infiltrate, um, using just uniforms they had laying around under Gracefield. They infiltrate the other kids' groups to be like, hey, let's start a game of tag. So, you know, it's actually quite a cute callback to the first season of them using tag as a training exercise. I actually did quite like that. (laughs) There are some details about the season that I quite like. Such as, you know, just like the small filler bit of all the kids surviving together in the bunker. This bit where they play tag to escape uh, the mothers and sisters. I just think that's very nice. And you know, the animation is still absolutely beautiful. Because it's Cloverworks. It's Cloverworks, baby. It's going to be gorgeous no matter what. Cloverworks does amazing work. Even, even though it might have been on a crunch. So, we'll get back to that crunch stuff later, actually. Might as well talk about that later. So. So, pretty much the kids are like, okay, let's play tag. So, the kids go off running. And they go running, 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 running. Until they get to this, um, 
so while they're doing that, the other, um, the surviving kids, the escaped kids, go around, and they hack into the system or something, they shut off the cameras, and then they proceed to arrow the camera for some reason, which I think is very, very funny. (laughs) I think that's very, very funny that they shut off the cameras, and then they arrow the cameras, which I guess is a way that they could be like, hey, just in case they turn it back on so they can't see where we are, whatever, pretty much and also they're doing this all with arrows because they don't have guns because <laughs> obviously it's kind of like it's awkward because apparently the manga emma just had a gun <laughs> emma had a gun in the manga and it's most likely that they kept them with arrows bows and arrows because it's a bit awkward to see children on television wielding guns i would definitely think i'd be like hmm and also, I guess, if you didn't know, in Japan, they have very strict gun laws, which is not the same as here in America. But, uh, that might have had a factor in it as well, because of the very strict gun laws in Japan. So, going here, so anyway, all the kids meet up in this room, uh, where there's a big elevator that goes down. We are going to get to the elevator soon. So, pretty much, out of nowhere, the mothers and sisters come, and they got, they got guns. They got guns. They just got AKs. <laughs> and so there's Ratti. He's there too. He's like, the demon reinforcements are coming. You have nowhere to go. And at this point, we find out about, hey, so what's this dude about? And this is like episode 11 or 10, by the way. And we're almost done with the season. So I was just like, hmm, this is too late to get into this dude's backstory, which is essentially a slideshow of his life. And now he's like, how his brother was found out about how, um, their family betrayed the other humans, and his brother, who turns out to be William Minerva, uh, he changes his name. I don't remember his actual name, but he's a Ratini. Whatever. So he's just like, ugh, I gotta help. But he Peter's like, this is great. This is the bomb. And I'm just like, okay. And so it turns out that Peter is the one who kills his brother, and which is why Minerva is just not around. Um, it's why... Um, nervous not around, and this is also why the books with the lamp, with the uh, owl um, stamps, were in the were in the houses because obviously he would have had access to the houses if he um, was you know part of the operation. And there's just this moment in the in the slideshow of Ratri's backstory where for some reason. Uh, Minerva's killed in like this alleyway, and I'm like, so wait, are there cities where um, the uh, <laughs> they can go like, and there's also human, other humans, and it's very confusing. So anyway, so we're done with that, and so Ratri's like, ah, uh, so Emma's trying to be like the whole, hey, um, you know, you could come with us. We could be done with all of this because Mujika's outside. Um, whatever the dudes, the grandpa demon's outside, and he brought the town with him, and the and so like pretty much what happens is that Norman's dudes. Or have just beaten up a lot of the guards. And so the town's coming in and you're like, we're done with you. We want food. We want help. Pretty much it's a whole entire anarchy. Not anarchy, but riot situation. Fickle. Fickle. Whatever. Um, so, so he's just in. He's just like, ah, we don't want this anymore. And essentially it is sort of a distraction for the demon guards, I guess, to um, get off of the kids' backs. Whatever. So pretty much, Emma's like, hey, you could come with us to the human world, we could stop all this, you know, classic anime character of let's finish this up peacefully. But here's the thing is, uh, Ratri decides to, he decides to, um, unalive himself, we'll say that. I won't go into details, but he decides to unalive himself. Which isn't great, 
So, you know. And they're like, okay, great. Also, let me actually go back a bit. So, the mothers and sisters turn on Rotary, including Isabella. And they can't just immediately forgive her for some reason. I'm just like, this isn't good. Why did you immediately forgive her? Why did you immediately forgive her when she... First off, she broke Emma's leg. She, um, she sent Norman off. <laughs> she, which technically wasn't in schedule because they would have still actually tried to develop him some more to be even smarter, which is also directly affecting how Norman got that, whatever happened to his brain that made him go bleh, uh, bleh, blood. Um, she kind of abandoned Ray, abandons Ray. It's it's just very confusing to me as to... And apparently in the manga, she dies, actually. But she gets a happy ending here, which... Honestly, kind of Steven Universe Syndrome. <laughs> That's not a thing. But I'm gonna make it up. Steven Universe Syndrome. I love Steven Universe, but... You know, it does feel... It, there are there are consequences to the Diamond's actions. They have to fix the universe now. But there feels like there are... But, you know, from a first person... From a blanket perspective... It feels like there's no consequences, because, you know, usually in kids' stuff, they do sort of the thing where the villain is forgiven or whatever. Or if you're Disney, you make them fall and you don't see their body land. But the diamond's, like, you know... And then they're kind of, like, weird in the movie. Whatever. We're not here to talk about Steven Universe. So Isabella is pretty much completely forgiven, and I was just here like, what are you talking about? She put you guys through all of this stuff, and you're just gonna forgive her? Okay. Okay, so and so the sisters and mothers turn on Ratchet, and they got their guns pointed at him. And so this guy unlocks himself, and he's lying there, full of his own blood. And I don't remember what happens here, cause it was a few weeks ago. And so from there, they um all go down into the elevator, down to the door that will lead them out to the human world. I can't tell. Apparently, in the actual uh, manga, it's like a very complicated like um. Best way I can describe it is what comes to mind is if you've watched Young Justice, it's the House of Fate that's represented at Young Justice, where all the different stairways, but it's a lot more complicated looking. It's um, or if you've played Minecraft, you know, like the end crystals with the different squares going around each other. It's kind of like that, but a lot more complicated and stair based. So I give you two examples, and if you want, you could probably look it up. <laughs> so pretty much, from here. So what happens here is these big doors, they're in, like, this weird wooden area. So the way to open up the doors is, unironically, the pen. For some reason, the pen that Minerva um, stashed in the house opens up the thousands of years old door that leads you out to the human world. Obviously a very quick cop-out to get the uh, keep going. So yes, uh, despite the fact that we are only in season two... And everything feels very quickly paced. We're already at the point where they're going to the human world. It's weird. This is this is episode twelve, by the way. We're at the end of episode twelve. So Emma does the thing. She opens up the door. So all the kids go through. Sisters and kids. All of them except for, <clears throat> um, pretty much Norman's dudes. So Norman's whole group goes. Yeah, Norman's whole group, pretty much. Um, Norman, Emma, and Ray. So they are all. Um, so they, uh, pretty much all of them except them. So Emma's like, hey, we're going to stare behind and fix some stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'm confused. And so this whole emotional moment, which I actually quite like, where Phil comes back through. And him and Emma share a hug. And it's very cute, actually. And so they go back through. So Don and Gilda are the only, um, 
like older children and I, the redhead kid and the blonde haired girl whose names I don't remember. So they also go through with the other kids. And so then we start another slideshow. It pretty much takes you through the kids reaching the human world. I'm pretty sure they go to New York City. That's the vibe I was getting. Pretty sure they're in New York City. And so we see them sort of grow up more, get accustomed to the human world. They go to school. Emma starts, not sorry, Isabella starts a new family. She has another baby. Sorry, Ray. Um, uh, there's this one actual plant, um, slide I actually quite like. It's with um, Don and uh, Phil. They're on a subway. And Don's just got drip. <laughs> I feel terrible for, I just feel weird for saying the word drip. But he looks very good. And I quite like that scene. And so, pretty much, it goes through that, and then it shifts to the demon world, it's the demon world side of the slideshow, where it just speeds through the rest of the manga. So it speeds through the rest of the manga, and we find there are a bunch of plot points that are skipped over. You see the demon queen, you see God, God, you see a bunch of different people that we never met, who are presumably, um, people that Norman left behind in whatever hideout he was hanging out in before he went to the village where Emma and Ray and the kids were hiding out. Um, you see Muchika get crowned as queen, which was confusing. That was, like, one of the last ones. And then there's actually this really sweet, um, slide where Muchika and, uh, Emma are, like, holding hands, and they're very nice and sweet. Um, it's a nice one. And then you get this, um, bit of, um, so pretty much Phil's, for some reason, at a point where, where, wherever they went in to, um, yeah, back. And so Emma... So they're all back. They're all older. Phil's older, which is weird to see an older Phil. And so they're back, and it's like, Emma, you know. And you know how Phil talks? Emma! <laughs> and, you know, that's it. That's the end. And it felt. So, just in general, the... So, as you can see, adaptations aren't always as faithful to the manga as you want them to be. Everything can move too quickly. Um, so... You know, and then in the case of The Promised Neverland, the genre feels like it essentially pretty much disappears. There's not a lot of suspenseful horror. It's just... And that is actually reportedly a problem with the manga itself. So, why does this sort of thing happen to adaptations? So, it turns out, I didn't actually know this before I tried to look into it earlier. As soon as I finished The Promised Neverland, I was like, so wait, 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 wait. Why does this suck? (laughs) So... Anime is essentially a giant advertisement for the manga that it's based on. When an anime has a different ending from the manga, you immediately want to go find out what the actual ending is, right? So literally, like, I remember when I watched Orin High School Host Club, I immediately went to the wiki and tried to figure out, wait, 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 why is it ending? I know, actually, not that. When I, when I finished Soul Leader, I was like, wait, it's ending like this? Okay. I went to go find out what's up. So, pretty much from that point... That's the point of it. It wants you to get interested in the manga and to buy the manga and get sales and just, you know, it's it's money. It's all based on money. The world is money. So sometimes, you know, you're just like, hey, why is the... Sometimes the anime is just too fast for the manga to keep up with, and so the anime has to divert. This happens with a few mangas, a few animes, which I will, so, which I will, um, slightly spoil a bit. Is Naruto Shippuden. I actually have not finished Naruto. I've not actually gone to Naruto Shippuden, 
but I have been told that there's a lot of filler in that boy. Uh, so it caught up to the manga. What essentially happened is that they put in filler so that um, the uh, mangaka could healthily um, create more arcs. And that is when, boys, you go on a hiatus. <laughs> you be like Hunter Hunter, and you go on a hiatus. So, and then there's the 2003 Full Metal Alchemist series, which is infamous for diverting completely from the plot. So much so that for some reason Ed goes to Germany at the end of the uh, at the end of the O three series, which I haven't actually, I haven't finished O three. I watched about twenty three episodes because like I remember the internet telling me when I was gonna watch Full Metal Alchemist, watch twenty three episodes, uh, watch the first twenty three of O three, and then go to FMA Brotherhood. I'm like, okay, all right, and I did exactly that. One day I may go back to FMA Brotherhood, uh, not FMA O three, because apparently it actually it's quite a good plot, and the animation looks stellar. Because, of course, it's, you know, it's an amazing series. But, pretty much, here's, like, two differences of animes that were still ongoing. Well, pretty much, um, so, Full Metal Alchemist came out in 2003, when the manga began in 2001. So, obviously, it's not going to be able to do a complete adaptation of the ma- of the anime when it's coming out in the middle of the manga's run. That is often a problem here. So, Shippuden goes the filler route. O3 go- went to the original story route. FMA eventually gets his Brotherhood adaptation, which is a more faithful adaptation to the manga. I still have to read FMA, but essentially it is a more faithful adaptation, so people say. Why did they have this problem? Oh, right, yeah, because the anime moves too fast for the manga to keep up with. Or they decide to, some for some reason, adapt, ad- uh, ad- adapt manga that isn't finished, which isn't the best idea. In retrospect. So, and then there are two other choices I'm going to give you. Who go original ending routes rather than original story routes. Soul Eater and Oran High School Host Club. Classics, some of my first anime, go the original ending route. Soul Eater goes with a very classic uh, friendship wins route, a la fairy tale. And Oran High School Host Club uh, gives a completely original ending, completely original end uh, arc. Um, thus prodding you to go read the manga and find out the real ending. All of these animes that I just mentioned were airing during the respective manga's run. That's the problem here. So, The Promised Neverland uh, doesn't fall into this problem. Season 1 airs during the, aired during the manga's run, but that arc in the manga had passed years ago, so there wasn't a big problem with it. Season 2 aired after the manga ended. It aired literally 2020, so the manga ends June 2020, and obviously production most likely starts before the manga ends, because that's sort of how animation works. It takes a while to animate stuff, you know? And originally, the uh, season two was going to air in twenty uh, in October 2020. But with the our current crisis, you know, you know, uh, they, delayed it, they delayed it until 2021, I, January 2021, about. Uh, so it's probable that since the manga had finished, the committee in charge decided that it was more important to advertise the manga then give a faithful adaptation to it. They just decided they didn't care how it ended up, that they wanted to just get it out with and be like, hey, series is done, go read the manga to get your better ending, apparently. So, because if you watch the manga, what, sorry, because if you watch the anime, why would you go read the manga? But there are cases in which it's good to give faithful adaptations. 
Hunter Hunter has had multiple adaptations. The 1999 adaptation wasn't um, faithful, but it came back in 2011 and gave a fairly faithful adaptation, going as far as to pausing everything to wait for the mangaka to be able to write more um, write more uh, arcs so that they could faithfully uh, adapt it. That's pretty much happening with Hunter Hunter. If you had no idea, because the mangaka is sick at the moment. It hasn't been uh, hasn't uh, published out in a uh, chapter in I believe two years. And then there's My Hero Academia, which I'm currently reading, so I am fairly versed on uh, what's going on in that uh, old boy. It's a fa- fairly faithful adaptation, and it continues to be one. If you've listened to past episodes, you know I recount the manga a lot, and I can firm- confirm that so far in Season 5, the anime has been pretty faithful. There are some minor details that are different due to it being animation and not manga. Like, colors can change between the manga to animation. For instance, Ida's uh, eye color in the manga is actually red and not blue. Um, the hair color Toya Todoroki was red in the, uh, in the, <laughs> red in the manga, um, uh, in, was red in the anime, but we don't know what color it was in the, um, in the, uh, manga until, I believe, recently, really, because, you know, if you look at, um, Todoroki, if you look at the Todoroki family and you see their hair colors, and you know that they are white and red-haired, so the darker parts of their hair, specifically Fuyumi, Natsuo, um, Shoto himself, and Endeavor, the red parts are colored in black to uh, pull off the fact that they are a different color from the white parts, which is where Ray comes in. Uh, Natsuo and Fuyumi's hair is mostly white, with some red slashed in, because they both, because at least Fuyumi has a nice quirk. I don't believe we know Natsuo's quirk yet. And Todoroki's half and half, because he's literally half and half of his parents' quirks. So this had cha- this had been uh, actually. Uh, Explain the manga why we saw Toya with red hair in the beginning, and now he suddenly has white hair. It, it's because of stress. It's because of stress. He got very stressed, and his hair started turning white, a la, a la um, which is, uh, um, it's a, you know, your hair starts to gray when you're stressed. That's an actual uh, response to stress. So anime, but, you know, there's a case, there's more uh, reasons as to why you can, should give faithful adaptations. Anime. It's great for people who are blind. You can't read manga. Thus opening the world of uh, these these wonderful stories to those who can't see them exactly. But they can hear them. It's great for people who may not be able to sit down and read hundreds of chapters. And it's an amazing experience to watch the manga you love uh, be put on screen in front of you in color and emotion. I can't attest. I remember... Uh, I read pretty much. I read up to chapter ninety-ish of My Academia, which is mid-season, which is end of season two, end of season two, end of season three. Uh, the all for one in um, all my arc. I think I literally ended it right um, as they were like figuring out how they were gonna go save Bakugo. The the kids they were like uh, they were like in the little alley and they're like, how are we gonna go save Bakugo? I ended it right there, and I remember as I was watching it, it was just perfect to me. The fight was perfect. Everything was perfect. It was amazing. And then as arcs have gone on, sure, My Hero Academia has a bit of a problem with pacing. It kind of feels like nothing's happening, but everything's happening at the same time. Season four, the beginning part. Because, you know, it all feel They uh, squeeze multiple arcs into a season, obviously, to make sure that they can get the entire uh, manga out into anime adaptation. 
And so you have this problem of, you know, the pacing that we have at uh, the Promised Neverland, but, you know, my hero sort of managed to um, be able to put it out there and have it be correct. <laughs> That's a way to put it. So, and, you know, I remember I watched the overhaul fight, and I don't quite remember how it looked, but I was just astounded by the animation because it's Bones. Bones has amazing animation. It's one of the most prolific animation studios in the business. And you can't just help but be like, oh, this is the good stuff. Literally, anything about Bones is beautiful. Even the older stuff, like Soul Eater, is amazing. And so then there's stuff like Season 5 so far. I'm very happy that the... Uh, you know, My Hero um, tends to have a uh, episode zero type where they're, like, refreshing you, and it's the most annoying thing, but they didn't exactly have that this time, which is very nice. They more have just plainly reintroduced um, people and their quirks, and really, they only just reintroduced um, Class 1A and their quirks. They didn't, they didn't, they decided not to reintroduce Mirio by name, Nechide by name, Tamaki by name. I don't think they even reintroduced Aizawa, which was interesting. Uh, but, you, or, um, I believe, uh, uh, Yagi, uh, All Might, and Midnight, and President Mike were also watching, uh, in season, uh, in episode zero, pretty much episode one, and they're like, they didn't reintroduce those characters, though they're all very important characters to the plot. Um, and then they don't go, uh, ahead in the coming episodes and reintroduce, and I believe they do reintroduce, um, Reintroduce, reintroduce, um, Endeavor and Hawks by, uh, Quirk and Name, because they are pro-heroes and important, and their, um, and their arc is wrapping up. Yeah, which is fairly, um, faithful, except I miss the hand thingy that Dobby did in the manga. I was like, where's the hand thing? Where's the hand thing? It's pretty much, he looks like he's puppeteering. It's a very cool pose, and they didn't do it, and I was sad. And, like, you know, Obviously, um, nothing is going to be perfect. There is problems with crunch, which is something that a lot of media has uh, problems with. There, people are overworked, especially Japan. Uh, they're overworked. They um, spend hours. I remember what in Mother's Basement's um, video, they were talking about how probably someone like slept under their bench, uh, slept under their desk to get this um, these episodes out. Um, and that might be because that might be because uh, why it felt so rushed at the end because they were really crunched for time. Because um, you have to take into account that they have to get the animation really done so they can actually air it and have the voice actors dub, um, or at least dub over the uh, footage. So you have to take that into account when you think about hey, why is this taking so long? Why is this a weirdly different? Why is not exactly how I wanted it to look? Because, well, you don't... Because, <laughs> you know, animators and writers and voice actors are human. We're not gonna be able to have everything perfect on the first... On, not the first try, but, like, you know, as we want it to be. You're never gonna get a perfectly faithful adaptation because there are limits to things such as, perhaps, as I mentioned before, the, gate, the way to the human world was a House of Fate-type beat. Uh, where there was so many different staircases. It was very trippy from what I saw in a panel of it when I was looking around. It's possible that they didn't have the budget to animate that. (laughs) 
which makes sense. You know, you don't, you aren't always going to have what you need to create the perfect picture. And it's something that a lot of anime fans need to recognize. Like, uh, for instance, we have current JoJo's Bizarre Adventure arc is going monthly. Uh, and even then, Araki couldn't put out a chapter this month because he was sick. That's something to always take into account. You're, um, no one's always going to be in perfect health to give you the stuff you want. <laughs> it's never going to happen. And thus, you have to take, um, you have to think about, you know, I'm just running around in circles. So let me just reiterate myself. So The Promised Neverland Season 2 was not good. <laughs> it was a bit of a mess starting from Season 3 on. Not Season 3. Episode 3 on. It fastly diverted from the original plot in favor of giving an original plot that um, was supposed to wrap up the story and give you a satisfying ending. But for pretty much everyone, even anime only, it didn't feel satisfying at all. For good reason. They skipped over a lot of plot. A lot of uh, development didn't feel solid. Um, Roman came back way too quick. Oh my god. Um, characters reappeared way too quickly. New characters popped in. A lot of things felt like just in unfinished, incomplete. And that's a completely valid thing to think. But obviously, not even the animators and the writers might have full control over what they're going to do. The committee, which is something pretty much... An- you know, when you watch the credits, you often see the blank committee. So first, uh, for instance, here, it would be the Promise Neverland committee, which is pretty much who, essentially, it's like the producers. They make all the plot decisions. They figure out, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to animate. This is what we're going to put out. And sometimes writers and animators don't have all of the power in putting out what they want to put out. So they did their best. And you got to understand that it's... Like, and, you know, there are some things when you think about it that you have to just take a step back <laughs> and think, huh, yeah, this wasn't the best, but when you think about it, you know, it told a story for sure. <laughs> that was a story for sure. And I will think about The Promise Neverland forever as wobbly, no wobbly, probably, maybe, it was probably, it was, um, so I have a website I go to called my anime list where I can pretty much put down um, anime I've watched and I can be like hey this is how I rate them I've watched this rate it and uh, I rated The Promised Neverland the smallest amount I believe I for winter 2021 I gave it a 6 out of 10 because it wasn't a terrible anime the animation was beautiful it definitely served a plot there were great moments in my opinion but you know it wasn't complete it didn't feel good it it wasn't amazing. I often rate anime in 7s, 8s, 9s. Because anime is a beautiful art form. It's something that I love. It's something that I appreciate so much. And you know, you want your anime to be amazing. It's like, you want to put it to the same standards as live-action TV shows. Because that's where their standards should be. It should be at the same standards as live-action stuff. Because that's really the point here. You want it to be taken seriously. Because it is a piece of work piece of art so when you know things are um not as it should be it feels off it feels weird it's eh, it's not great that's pretty much it (laughs) so why does so um while we're here i might as well say hey um i mentioned jojo a few minutes ago 
part six was confirmed. If you listened to last, uh, last, um, episode, we talked about Jotaro and, um, we talked about Jotaro and his sort of, uh, psyche, and hey, Jotaro's kind of weird. <laughs> we talked, and we did a case study, which is something we like to do here, and we most likely be doing more case studies in the future. It's a lot of fun, let's me flex my knowledge about, uh, shows, and let's Sam flex her psychology knowledge, and we have a lot of fun with it. So, definitely in the future, there will be more, um, case studies for you to look for. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so part six got confirmed on April 4th, which was amazing. I, so pretty much, if you didn't know, there was the Joestar Inherited Soul uh, event, which was based on the animation. I didn't get to watch it because it was at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> as soon as I woke up uh, on April 5th, it was confirmed. I was like, Jolene real? Jolene's gonna be real. We're gonna see her on screen. It's gonna be amazing. And I'm very excited because... Uh, out of the later, uh, part six is one of my favorite, um, parts. I love it a lot, because first half it gives us Jolene, gives us our only female JoJo. It, it has a very female-based cast, and I just love the idea of having this. So, uh, oh gosh, I have a lot of time. Why do I love Stone Ocean? Stone Ocean is, um... It's it's chaotic as all JoJo parts are, and it's sort of you know there are a lot of things that are not gonna make sense, but that's just JoJo, like the snails, all the snails, and you know it is pretty much the end to the main JoStar arc. It is after this, we are going into a different universe. I won't tell you how, but um, oh boy, <laughs> uh, I believe yeah we've covered pretty much Jo uh Stone Ocean before. Uh, in one of our media, uh, I'm not gonna say roundups, like, you know, we've, uh, we, uh, talk about the media we've watched, or read, and so I remember, yeah, cause I finished Stone Ocean before Sam did, and we decided to include it in one of our, um, media talks. Talks? The word is talks. I've edited these so many times, and I don't remember the words for any of these. So, uh, so, yeah, Stone Ocean is a very good, uh, manga, and we're going to get to see that finally uh, ad- ad- adapted <laughs> after so long. I remember um, as soon as part as soon as part 5 ended, or as, at least as soon as part 5, um, I was just like, where is Stone Ocean? I want it now. We're finally getting it. Most likely it won't be out until next year because, of course, we can't, we're going to need to take our time and wait. At least we know that's coming. Which is awesome! We're gonna get to see so many characters. We're gonna get to see Jotaro, but he's 40 and wearing purple this time. Which is fun. Uh, we get to meet characters like Foo Fighters, Hermes, Anasui, Other Report, Poochie, Emporio. The weird character, uh, Quest, the weird antagonist characters. Dio's gonna make a comeback in a flashback. Um, and he's gonna look good. <laughs> It's just a lot. It's a lot of fun, and I'm very excited for Stone Ocean to come out, most likely next year. Um, but for now, you know, that's all we got. Um, and then, of course, My Hero uh, Academia Season 5 started two weeks ago, and so far it's great. Um, at this point, you're hearing me on Sunday, but uh, Midge has not watched uh, Episode 3 yet, but she knows what's happening. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite arcs in the manga, the uh, joint training arc. And it leads into an, my, one of my other favorite arcs, uh, which I won't spoil because I don't believe we have uh, 
you know, I don't want to spoil that, but obviously you know at this point they're going to join Train. I'm not going to spoil the next arc that season five will definitely cover. Um, but it's very exciting. Um, and then there's, you know, we're just very excited. But um, I'm probably going to say this. Most likely we're not going to be on the radio next uh, Sunday because Vinyl Thon is happening. We didn't take up that spot because, <laughs> I mean, Sam never mentioned to me. So obviously if we don't have that spot our usual 2 p.m. to eat, uh, 3 p.m. spot for the semester, because Vinyl Thon's happening, where um, a bunch of people have decided to share their vinyls uh, with you, and it's going to be very fun. We're not participating, so you will not be hearing us for a week. I'm not sure if we'll be hearing, uh, we'll have uh, something on Wednesday or not, um, but if we do, uh, you'll be able to find out if you um, follow us on Twitter really just Twitter, honestly, I keep forgetting to use Instagram, I keep forgetting to use Instagram, so, if you want to follow us on Twitter, (laughs) we are at, uh, F-A-N-D-O-M-F-A-R-E, Phantom Fair, which is just the name of our, uh, our show here, which is pretty cool, so, if you also want to follow us on Instagram, though, really, um, (laughs) there's not a lot of point to it, I don't post a lot, uh, on when we're po- going up. I'll try to, I swear. So, it's pretty much the same name as our, uh, Twitter. But you put a underscore between the M and the second F, which is great. We didn't get, um, the full Fandom Fair, uh, name, which, uh, I resent sometimes. I resent that. But, uh, if you want to listen, you want to find out when we're going live, which is pretty much the same time, uh, so 2 p.m., EST on Sundays, and then we re-air at 10 a.m. ESTs on Wednesdays on, uh, you know, 90.3 WMC Upper Montclair. I shouldn't have said that so soon, and I will most likely say it again at the very end. <laughs> um, we want to find out when we're airing or we're going live. If you forget, just follow us on those uh, platforms. And if you want to re-listen to our episodes, if you've missed something, which I don't blame you for missing something, it's, you know, radio's hard, um... You can listen to us, you can go find us, Fandom Fair, same name as our Twitter handle, on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud, technically, but it's like the last four episodes. I don't know if Sam's gotten rid of the SoundCloud yet, but more like, you'll want to really go to Google Podcasts or Spotify, that's where you'll find all of our episodes. Um, yeah, pretty cool. Uh, we gotta, I guess we'll end it here. So, this has been a fandom fair, a deep dive media show with just Midge this week. Um, so, brush your teeth, clean your sheets, take a shower. You're a little bit stinky. Um, do self-care, drink some water, um, eat some food, and have a lovely and spectacular day. Uh, cause you deserve it. <laughs> Bye!